You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. For the past few weeks, Worldly has been focused on the coronavirus outbreak. It's awful, it's grim, it's rough, it is the defining feature of our times. And maybe like all of you, we needed a little break from it. So this week, we decided we wanted to talk about something a little lighter, less pressing, a little more otherworldly. Because this week, we are talking about UFOs. That's right. We are talking about these new videos released from the Pentagon. Well, not exactly new. We'll explain that in a second. But videos that the Pentagon has confirmed the authenticity of, of flying things, literally unidentified flying objects, that may or may not be aliens. I mean, we don't know. They're unidentified, right? Anyway, this week on Worldly, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network, we are going to talk about the videos, what they could be, what the history of uh, the national security state's obsession with UFOs is, what the actual videos are and how the U.S. government has treated them recently, and the, the interesting global theoretical and spiritual debates surrounding aliens and the existence of life and potential alien visitors. I'm Zach Beecham here as always with Jen Williams and Alex Ward. I prefer to go by Scully. Thank you. Now, this is like obviously the greatest topic we've ever done on Worldly, and I'm super excited about talking about it. Because Next week, the Illuminati, real or fake? <laughs> <laughs> you you joke, Jen, but you literally are drinking out of an Illuminati mug this morning. I am. Uh, it's actually a Starbucks mug, but it has a funky little design and like a little green gem and a compass on the front, and it it looks super Illuminati. So I, I used it on purpose this morning for my. Oh coffee. yeah, you guys can't see it, but that absolutely does look on our uh, our Zoom kind of alien Illuminati. Yeah, know, kind of Illuminati. It's freaky. Yeah, so fact, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a green emerald for the Emerald City of Seattle from which Starbucks comes. Yeah, one thing that, that came out while we were prepping this episode is Alex is no fun about aliens, and he will proceed to be no fun throughout this morning. Yeah. Uh, so also, Jen and I will have to be here. He's definitely suspiciously looking like a lizard person. Okay, um, so <laughs> before we get you know too deep into the world of UFOs and aliens and and the actually surprisingly pervasive and weird scientific interest in this area— uh, let's start with with the actual news here, the thing that makes this a worldly topic, which is the Department of Defense officially confirming three different videos that show, we're not really sure what it is, 
filmed from the cockpit of various different U.S. fighter jets. The fancy term, uh, so that you don't say UFOs sound like a whack job, is Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, or UAP, which is literally just the same thing as Unidentified Flying Objects. But uh, to make it sound more technical and sciencey, and like, we're totally not talking about UFOs, we're talking about this other UAP thing. It's the same thing. So if you want to be really cool in front of your friends, say, oh yeah, I saw some UAPs. By the way, that won't make you cool. Definitely not. Uh, DOD formally released these three Navy videos containing unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP, for those in the know. The first one is kind of, doesn't have like any audio. You can just kind of see this little like thing that looks like a bean kind of flying. And, and all of these are taken from cockpits. So they have like these little numbers kind of all around the, the screen and little like squares that kind of zoom in. So it's very like technical looking like you're pew pew in a fighter jet. Another one's got some audio that's not super fun, and it's just kind of like wonky, like pilots talking. And then there's this one, which is super pilot bro hilarious. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Um, so, Captain Buzzkill, um, you have some theories as to why these are not, in fact alien spacecraft visiting us, but totally explicable uh, in terms of actual real-world physics. Yeah, listen to the Alex files is what I'm trying to tell you. So, backstory. These are videos, one filmed in 2004 and two filmed in 2015. They had already been released by a space exploration UFO fact-finding organization called To The Stars, which is led by a former Pentagon uh, official and former Blink-182 frontman Tom DeLonge. Uh, <laughs> yes. And now the Pentagon has officially confirmed, yes, these are filmed by people in fighter jets. They are real, and they were released now, the Pentagon says, because after review, it showed no sensitive information in the fighter jet or anything else. So these were free to go. And the Pentagon does confirm that there is no confirmation as to what the things inside those videos are. So UFOs, UAPs, whatever, Occam's razor. No, of course they're not. There are definitely other explanations for what they could be. So the three videos are named in part by kind of the objects in it. Weirdly, one is Go Fast, Fleur, and Gimbal. All three sound like new podcast startups. One has like this almost disc-looking thing tilting pretty rapidly and having a glow. Another one looks like a Tic Tac. And also in the people who are studying these videos, they kind of call the Tic Tac video sort of a black little uh, oval and then there's one that shows like this object seemingly going extremely fast, flying low over the water. That's uh, the one we heard. But there are tons of people already out there trying to find way more plausible explanations. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, I, I want to yeah. be clear on a technical point here. Yeah. When you say you can think they're UFOs, they are UFOs. Like definitionally, these are unidentified flying objects as confirmed by the Pentagon this week. Fine, but right? like we, we know they're unidentified. It's just... It's 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 very much unproven to put it mildly that they are in fact alien spacecraft that are defying the laws of physics. Correct. Um, so even just by one guy who knows math and science and, and, and studies these kinds of things, basically saying that the one that looks like there's a, an object flying low, very fast above the water, is probably a weather balloon that the fighter jet tracked, flying about thirteen thousand feet above the water, not right above the water. Another one saying that maybe the tic tac is probably a plane in the sky. 
uh, like a just a regular commercial jet far away that a camera was able to catch. And because the camera doesn't have great resolution, it makes it dark, um, et cetera, et cetera. There are, there are tons of other plausible earthbound explanations for what these things are. Just because a fighter pilot did not recognize what it was right away on a radar of something that may be far away or because the Pentagon cannot account for something that was flying in, in a location years ago now does not necessarily mean you make the jump to an alien spacecraft. There are other reasons I believe that these aren't necessarily that, like all the satellites in the atmosphere, my goodness, or beyond the atmosphere, probably would have caught something, especially if an unidentified craft were coming towards Earth and hanging out. And then plus just the history of American folklore when it comes to the UFOs, especially Area 51, where people thinking like, oh, I've never seen a thing like that fly. It must be aliens. And like, one thing is true. Those people never saw anything like that fly before, but that was because it was new technologies um, that we now have and see. So Technology uh, that we totally stole from aliens, but okay. I mean, wrong, <laughs> but, uh, but okay. <laughs> I mean, again, you can believe it and it's fine. Like, I'm not going to knock your... I actually belief. don't. I'm just being a brat. No, I know. But like, for people who might be listening and believing <laughs> it, like, I'm not going to knock your, your views on it. I'm just thinking... Like, there are other reasons why I jump to weather balloon before I jump to aliens. All joking aside, Alex's point about new technology is actually really, really on point here. Looking at the kind of history of these sightings and, you know, in the U.S. and and kind of the the arc of this, right at the beginning of the Cold War, so in the the early 1950s, uh, is when we started to see, like, a lot more of these. There's one sighting and then it kind of like kicked off. And of course, you know, more people start seeing things, you know, going back to Alex's point about uh, the new technology, you know, like I said, this started kind of in the early 1950s is when this really kicked off, right? And that just so happened to coincide with the start of the Cold War. And so if you actually uh, look at at the archives and there are tons of, of documents. So the CIA in the 90s released a huge batch of documents about like the history of the CIA's involvement in investigating UFOs. Um, the CIA has been involved in this for for decades. The U.S. Air Force has been involved in this for decades. And one of the main things that the CIA was involved in is the fact that they were creating the U-2 spy plane, which Alex was talking about new technology. That's what he meant. So the CIA was creating this super like fast-flying, radar-undetectable U-2 spy plane. Um, and they painted them black eventually, but originally they were silver and shiny, <laughs> and they reflected a lot of sun. And we were trying to keep that technology secret from the Soviets. And so the CIA was like, yeah, uh, we definitely know that this is going on. We're fully aware that this, you know, we're testing these planes out here in, in the desert in the you know western United States. So they came up with things like ice crystals that were forming and cameras. And uh, one of the most common explanations is uh, is temperature inversion, which is this like meteorological phenomenon that I super don't understand because I don't understand meteorology. But but yeah, so like there, there's actually like a long history of U.S. government institutions actually getting involved. And a lot of it has to do with the Cold War. Just to add to what you're saying, Jen, the CIA, there's evidence that they actually did help propagate the UFO m- myth as right. a way of like, as people were thinking, thinking, oh, it might be aliens. The CIA didn't say, oh, it's aliens, but they did say, oh, these are objects we've never seen before. What could they be? Um, and it was a way to help deflect away from building new technology during that time. See, you all are framing this as this is the case for skepticism about these things, when in fact, this is in part of the case for being concerned that there actually might be more to this than we know. I'm not saying I believe it, 
But look, you have tons of top former top U.S. government officials, people like former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid and John Podesta, who was Bill Clinton's chief of staff and then a counselor in the Obama White House, who are saying on the record that there's tons of stuff that the U.S. government has on this stuff that we've only seen sort of the tip of the iceberg as to what we know about these unidentified objects. And the way that they make it sound and their sort of cryptic public statements about these things because they don't want to violate classification rules, it's as if there's a whole lot more evidence of things that we have not identified that are actually kept secret that we that we don't know about. Not only that, but there are credible physicists and scholars who, some of whom somewhat quietly, some of whom openly at this point, there's a recent piece by a University of Albany physicist in The Conversation, which is like a serious academic publication uh, designed for public consumption, making the case that what we've seen so far and the evidence that we have, the archival evidence, the documentary evidence, suggests at the very least we can't rule out this being something we genuinely don't understand and not just people mistaking an air balloon for an alien spacecraft, but in fact, that these videos are difficult to explain. Again, I'm not saying I believe the case that these are, in fact, extraterrestrials. There's very, very little evidence for that, again, to put it mildly. But rather, it just seems that there's emerging evidence that there is genuinely stuff that we can't or don't have a clear and obvious explanation for. It may end up being disproven, but I find it striking that I'd been told my entire life and had thought my entire life, you know, this is ridiculous. UFOs, that's something that rubes believe, when in fact, 50% of the American public seems to believe in it, according to one poll. And not only that, there's like evidence our government has legitimately been hiding of things that they don't understand. It's just, it's wild. Yes, but let's, so I just want to do a little caveat here. So let's look at Area 51. There was a moment where Bill Clinton wanted to get information about Area 51, like certain things that were happening there, and he was rebuffed. He could not get information from there. And that's because that information is so compartmentalized, so secret, that like there are some things the president can't even know. And so the amount of folks that know certain things like or that have a certain technological expertise are so small and that group is so insular. And frankly, only a few things have leaked out in the decades-long history. That does not surprise me that even top government officials in the U.S. would go, well, there are things that can't be explained and I've got no information or like we can't get because like they can't get it and they don't have either the technological or whatever expertise to understand it. There are only a handful of people who aren't talking that do. And those that are talking to journalists or whatever um, are only offering hints and glimpses. Um, Again, it does not necessarily mean that there might not be some sort of grand thing happening behind the scenes. But I also do want to caution that even the, the the smartest people or the most in-place people, including sometimes the president, aren't aware of like what's actually happening in these sort of technological advanced weaponry spaces. Okay, two things. First, that's super messed up because— Yeah, I agree. That is really messed up. The entire principle of our government and our military and civil-military relations is civilian control of the military. And the president is the person who sets security clearances— It's literally they're the ones who are supposed to have all the information. They run the whole country. If anybody should have access to literally every piece of information, it should be the president, no matter which president it is, whether you like that person or not. Uh, The fact that Bill Clinton was not able to, you know, and was rebuffed uh, to try to get information, that is deeply disturbing from like a Democratic perspective. The other issue that I want to talk about is I actually kind of want to push back on on both of those understandings of, of 
how the government has interacted with this stuff. Um, over the decades, from the 1950s on, the military, the CIA, and the U.S. government, Congress, uh, the National Security Council in the White House have done deep dive investigations into this question. Like, is this alien stuff? What's going on? But the question that they normally more, more often look into is, is there enough weird, funky stuff going on that this is worth devoting more resources to and doing a serious, deep scientific investigation? So in 1966, for example, the U.S. Air Force literally contracted the University of Colorado, a group of scientists, to conduct a scientific study on UFOs. The final report was published in 1968. It's called the Condon Report. It's online. You can find it. We'll link to it in the show notes. It's like a thousand pages long. The main researchers talk about how they did their research. And they looked at all the available evidence and that the Air Force handed over the stuff they had. They looked at what are like, what is the photographic evidence? But they also looked at like psychological explanations and like, you know, what's the psychology? And they talked to psychologists about like how people, you know, misperception. They contacted foreign governments around the world and said, what are you guys? Are you guys working on this stuff? Are you looking at this? Like, do you have real programs? And they said, basically, they concluded, there's no evidence that this is anything that we really need to devote massive resources to. Not that like there aren't funky things going on. But the vast majority of these are pretty easily explained, like 90-something percent of them. And the ones that aren't don't really seem like it's worth launching this huge, you know, government and spending resources on. So that's just one example. But these kinds of investigative kind of commissions, over and over again, they came back and basically said, I think we're going to just end up wasting a lot of resources following wacky, weird little reports, because these reports pop up all the time. It's going to just end up wasting resources, and we're going to, you know, clog up the government with doing a bunch of UFO research. But they kept asking the question for a very real national security reason, which is, especially during the Cold War, the CIA in particular was really, really, really worried that what if the Soviet Union basically capitalizes on this kind of UFO paranoia and tries to, like, spread mass hysteria in the U.S., and cause, like, lack of faith in the government and mistrust? And also, what if these are some other phenomenon that our enemies could use to overload our radar systems so that we couldn't tell when an actual threat was coming in, meaning, like, a nuclear weapon or a bomber? So there were very serious reasons. That they actually were like, should we study this? Because people were like, look, I'm not saying aliens, but, like, the Soviets could be sending some weirdo planes over here trying to distract from nuclear missiles. So... They were very serious, and every single time they came back and they were like, yeah, I don't really think it's worth looking into because it's just a bunch of weird reports that don't really make much sense. It's it's worth noting um, that the U.S. government is not the only one that has looked at this stuff. Not in at all. The way that Jen is talking about, right? And in fact, um, I'm, I'm looking at this, the conversation article I just mentioned. Uh, the Chilean government formed an organization. Brazil, Canada, Denmark, Ecuador, France, New Zealand, Russia, Sweden, and the UK have all been declassifying UFO files recently. And in France, there was, a, and I, I'm reading from the article here, an unofficial UFO study group comprised of high-ranking scientists and military officials that studied UFOs in the late 90s. Their report, uh, the Cometa report, concluded that 5% of the encounters were reliable yet inexplicable. Uh and according to that report, the best hypothesis available was that the observed craft were extraterrestrial. I think that is probably more than a little bit of a leap. But the point <laughs> is there's been sustained and intense international attention to this question from 
from national security agencies around the world. And I find it really striking that, as you said, Jed, like, you know, according to that French report, 95% of, of these things were, were nothing, were obvious and people just being silly. But it's not just that Americans are peculiarly obsessed with this topic. It's that there is this genuine international phenomenon of things that militaries are having difficulty identifying cropping up again and again. And now this is just like what we're learning from this Pentagon footage is that this is just a feature of our world now that we that we have to deal with, that there's just stuff that is happening in our skies that we may or may not be something truly weird, but at present is just something we don't understand. And the Pentagon's kind of given up on figuring it out, it seems, uh, officially speaking. So uh, we'll link in the show notes a, a piece about this, a really long, complicated, hist- twisted history of like some sort of contracting process where the Pentagon was asking people to find out stuff about UFOs. But the the basic thing you need to know is that officially the Pentagon says that that program ended in 2012. And there's a dispute about whether that program has continued. But what is interesting is that the Pentagon was looking into this pretty intensely. Uh, very And recently. And recently. And may still be, or if, like to the point that um, at least uh, you know, a guy named Luis Elizondo, who claims that he was still running this program um, even after the Pentagon sort of officially says we ended in 2012, basically him saying that he tried to brief the Secretary of Defense on it and he quit over the fact that he couldn't, that top levels weren't taking this program seriously. But this was after 2012. Uh, he specifically cited saying, I couldn't get a meeting with Mattis. And that was former Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis. So I'm sure if it's not at the Pentagon, I'm sure it's somewhere else in our government that's looking at this. But that's also part of this entire sort of controversy is that the Pentagon's being like, look, here are the videos. We're not looking into this anymore. It's not a big deal. And of course, some people are kind of going like, no way, man. You definitely are still looking at it. Something's still going on. We know the truth is out there. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to uh, we're going to blow the lid off this truth that Alex Mulder uh, just just uncovered for us and talk about the history and then the interesting theoretical attention from scholars uh, both of international politics and other phenomenon uh, when it re- as it relates to the UFO issue. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. 
You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, worldly listeners. We have been talking about the recently confirmed Pentagon footage of unidentified flying objects. Quite literally, we have official confirmation that UFOs are real. That is to say they are unidentified. Uh, And we're discussing what the implications of that are and uh, whether or not the people who have been saying they're aliens are as out there as everyone says they are. Uh, And what this means for for world politics in general, because again, it's not just the U.S. government that's interested in this, it's governments around the world. One thing I found is surprising when I've been looking into this topic since the, the footage came out is that there are all of these people who are in positions of power or influence or respect who are just sort of quietly interested in UFOs, maybe even believers in the extraterrestrial hypothesis, right? Like one of the really prominent examples that that um, sort of well-known international relations circles is that Alexander Wendt, who's a professor at Ohio State and, and one of the most significant living international relations theorists in terms of his impact on the field, published a paper in the journal Political Theory uh, arguing uh, – well, it's a sort of complex argument about the nature <laughs> that, of sovereignty. That's an understatement, by the way. Yeah. It's we'll link a, to it. Know, Good luck, everybody. It engages with Foucault and Derrida and Giorgio Agamben, an Italian scholar recently known for being, among other things, a uh, coronavirus truther. But uh, one, one, the, the main thrust of Wendt's argument, in addition to sort of complex claims about what the existence of UFOs or alien life would mean for the way we think about politics on Earth, is that you know, UFOs are real and there's a very decent chance they're extraterrestrial. And it's extraordinary to me reading this paper, you know, in a mainstream political theory journal from one of the widely recognized top scholars in his field making making this case because it's something that seemed so marginalized, so on the fringes of society. And yet you have people, you know, in governmental bodies, in the scientific establishment, in you know, positions of influence in the academy, who quietly and sometimes less quietly genuinely believe that this is a topic that is worth more study, right? The conclusion of Wendt's paper argues that what we need is significant research funding for a network of monitors to identify potential UFOs so we can get better quality footage to understand what they actually are, right? It's just... There, there have been calls for this now, and there are, there are a number of people like it. It's very interesting that this is a, a genuine worldwide thing that happens over and over again. Look, I'm all for even IR scholars or all kinds of folks putting in inquiries into this because inquisitiveness and wonder about our world or the world outside or the, or the universe outside is just innate to who we are. I mean, it is important for us to answer the big questions, uh, whether we are alone, perhaps being one of the biggest ones. I'm all for trying to figure out why things are the way they are. I mean, since the earliest days of civilization, right, we invented mythology to under, to like explain why there was thunder and why things grew out of the ground. And now we're trying to find plausible explanations for why we're seeing things in the sky that we don't know exist. Um, we're, we always search for sort of inquiries, and it's always good to have um, all kinds of wonder, whether scientific or not. I think, and I think that Can kind I of stuff is important. Can I actually cut in though, really quickly? <laughs> oh snap! This is Bird Pinkerton, our producer, who we often thank, and you all never hear from until now. Bird, just really fa- so I cannot tell you, Alex, how much I like fundamentally agree with the idea that like it is worth exploring the question of like, is there life out there, and is that life interesting, and what could it look like? I think that. 
exploring unidentified flying objects within our atmosphere is the least interesting version of that kind of an exploration, which I understand is basically what you're saying, so I don't really feel like I'm disagreeing with you. But sure, let's talk about life off of this planet, outside of this planet. There's this fantastic book that just came out like this April. It's called Alien Oceans. It is looking at moons, for example, the moons of Jupiter, moons throughout our solar system, where you have water, you could potentially have life. It could be life that isn't DNA-based. It could be life that could tell us all kinds of things about the nature of life and how life works and, and what life looks like. It's like realistically, plausibly possible, and we have pretty obvious ways of studying it. And they're a lot less exciting than like, oh my God, what if people are getting abducted? Or like, what if there are things flying around in our atmosphere? But ultimately, what they could tell us about life, if we bothered to go try and explore Europa, for example, I don't know, it would just be much more mind-bending, I think, than like, what is the Pentagon hiding from us around Area 51? So yes, and where I was going is that like, I think it is important for people in power, if they're helping to run the government, is it is a massive national security question. Um, Like, if other worlds have technology that's greater than ours, because if you've seen Avengers 1, like, that was almost the entire plot, right? They realized Thor... Or Independence Day. Or Independence Day, right? (laughs) Like, they realized Thor existed or aliens were out there and we were woefully unprepared. So, like, that is an important national security question is to know if there are better technologies out there. But I agree with you in terms of scientific inquiry, in terms of um, in terms of knowing like where we come from or are we alone and all that, there are way more important questions. I will, I know I've been sort of a stick in the mud in this, but I do believe that life outside of Earth exists or not might not be in our form. It might have been billions of years ago or it may exist billions of years in the future. Um, or it may just be, you know, microorganisms on Europa or whatever it may be. Um, but I agree, like that kind of inquiry and also looking to our oceans is probably way more valuable in terms of our human uh, knowledge. But uh, just to belabor the point one more time, a national security question should absolutely be asked is, you know, do other beings have technology that could threaten the entire Earth? It's it's not only a question for policymakers, it's, it also seems to be increasingly a preoccupation for, for people around the world, right? There's a really interesting interview that our colleague Sean Illing did with Diana Pasolka, who's a professor of religion at University of North Carolina. And uh, she wrote a book about belief in UFOs where she went from, at the beginning, being a UFO skeptic to somebody who is, as uh, she put it, I think, agnostic on the question of whether or not UFOs are uh, extraterrestrial because she interviewed a bunch of very credible-sounding scientists who had been looking into this. But the main thesis of her book is not attempting to prove or disprove UFOs. It's not really about that. It's about the role that UFOs and belief in them play in, in the modern imaginary or psychology, the way that people around the world think about themselves and their role in the universe, right, to the points that Alex and Bird were, were just making, right, in her view, it is a kind of replacement religion. In a world where disenchantment with religion is becoming common, UFOs and a belief in them fills a, a not not quite worship is the wrong way of putting it, but it's it's a way of um, understanding ourselves, of thinking about a world outside of ourselves. And it is, as she describes it, a new form of religion 
uh, where scientists and people who generally distance themselves from things like miracles seem to embrace this new religious form. Wait, can I jump in again, though? <laughs> yeah, please, please. I did an interview with this guy, Brother Guy Consolmagno. He is, uh, he. the reason that this is related is he is the Vatican's chief astronomer. Uh, so he lives in, in Arizona, and he... A known Vatican stronghold. <laughs> well... They built like a giant telescope there because um, there was so much light pollution in like around the Vatican that they needed uh, better places with which to study the the stars. And so what's <laughs> funny to me is you talk about sort of this idea that uh, UFOs are kind of this replacement religion potentially, but in so many ways for him actually uh, in this in this interview that I did with him studying. Space, for for a long time, what he did was he would study kind of meteorites that came from space um, and space rocks, uh, but he also now oversees all kinds of other explorations of of the sort of solar system and then the everything beyond. For him, it, it sort of reinforced a lot of his ideas about God and the presence of God in the universe. And I actually, if you guys will, if you guys will put up with it, I think I, I could play you some clips. I would I would love to hear from uh, Brother Guy. To start, here's just like a flavor of of what he's like. So he he basically didn't get into the Vatican until he was 40. And at this point, I was pushing 40 years old. I'd been dating somebody and that fell through. And I figured, well, you know, she's not in my life anymore. And I'm not going to have, you know, I'm 40 years old. Who starts a family at 40? Well, it turns out a lot of people do, but I didn't know that. <clears throat> And I thought if I joined the Jesuits as a brother, maybe I could teach at a Jesuit university, a Georgetown or Boston College or you know, Loyola. When I joined the Jesuits then, I was about 40 years old. And all they asked was, of course, you know, the three vows, poverty, chastity, obedience. But poverty, I'd been used to that. I'd been a grad student. <laughs> and, you know, chastity, I was used to. I'd been a grad student. <laughs> but this obedience thing, that was new. They have control over where you're going to work. And they told me with my background, with my doctorate in planetary sciences, I was going to go to the Vatican Observatory. I'm sorry, just one second. I just want to comment on that. I just love the fact that this guy was like, I'm pushing 40. My relationship didn't work out. I guess I'll go work for the Vatican. Like, most people just like buy a convertible. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, yeah, I love joining the Jesuits to advance your career. That's phenomenal stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, you know, he do, he goes, he studies space rocks. And then, and this was sort of the part, he also probably, he makes the same argument about Europa that, that I do. But this is, this is the part that kind of um, I enjoyed the most out of this interview. So I asked him this question. If you could have any piece of any part of the solar system just right in front of you to look at mm -hmm. or examine, what would you want? I would want a cubic meter of the water that comes from the ocean under the ice crusts of Europa. <laughs> Why? There's so much that we could learn. First of all, is there life in that water? And if not, why not? Uh, all the ingredients ought to be there for the kind of chemistry that gives us life. What would the trace elements be? What would the history would be? And I think this is the most likely place where we're going to find life that was not contaminated by whatever started life on Earth, a separate evolution of life, 
And it's only when you have more than one example of life that you can even understand what actually is life. What would it mean for Catholicism for us to discover intelligent life? You know, we've already got a cosmology of the people writing the scripture that say, and you'll find this in the Quran as well, that we're not the only intelligent things made by God. That's already built into the system. You've got marvelous places where, you know, the, the psalmist talks about the stars shouting for joy at their creator. Uh, you can be silly and you can look at a passage where, you know, Jesus says, I have, you know, I'm the good shepherd and I have sheep elsewhere that I have to go to. And you go, aha, you see, he's talking about the aliens. I don't think so. But it's not inconsistent with, which is a great phrase that planetary scientists like to use when we really don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> we don't know what we're talking about. And as long as we realize that, it's fun to hypothesize. It's fun to have fun with the ideas. I think that last note from Brother Guy is so perfect and so encapsulates the the spirit of the way that we've been approaching this particular topic today that I, I kind of want to give him the last word. Uh, I want to thank Bird, uh, as always, for her production work, but also for her interjections. We loved having her on the show this week. It was super fun. And I want to encourage all of you to rate and subscribe and review Worldly uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot, y'all. We will see you next Bye. week. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts.